At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Off track with Hinch and Ross. I think you should go f- yourself. Wow, it's an aggressive start. <laughs> it's as if it's three fifteen in the morning, Tim. It's, it's almost six a.m. It's five fifty. It's ten to six. And here's the thing: a lot of people, actually in LA, I would say the vast majority are either already sitting in traffic or have or already been Equinox. to Equinox. <laughs> And are having their fruit smoothie as they're going home to prepare for their job at 9 a.m. I would um, love a fruit smoothie right now. You are complaining about having to walk downstairs, probably in your underwear, to talk to your two pals. Are you wearing pants, Tim? I am. I'm wearing pajama pants. Does that okay. count? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. That's still I'm actually pants. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also wearing my Hinch's back shirt. Oh, nice. Is that the one that says, but I'll get you next time on the back? It is, yes. Yeah, right. yeah, right. yeah. Thanks for that. So anyways, guys, <laughs> welcome to Off Track. We had to do one a little bit early this morning because James and I actually have, you know, things that bring income into our lives, <laughs> whereas Tim, um, well. He's going to fall back on the strike. He's going to keep saying <laughs> it's the strike. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's early for Tim, and he was very upset when we texted him yesterday to say how early we had to do this. And Alex had a great rebuttal, though, which was, imagine if we had real jobs and, like, had to sit in an office. And then you brought up a great point, Tim. Could you imagine you in an office setting? No, it would not be good. Like, what job job would you do? I I will say, like, okay, when I was in college, I, I like, PA'd on a lot of movies when Mm -hmm. I, like, during the summers or on long weekends. And, like, that's about the closest I've had to, a, like, a real proper job. I mean, I don't think either of us can talk, James. Like, no, 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 no. I'm trying a job? To, no, no, no. What I'm trying to okay. say is, like, if there was an office job that you oh. had to have, if you had to be in an office nine to five, like, what what would you, like, that, that's it. You have to choose an office job. What would you do? I feel like in all history, like, court jester, I think I would have nope. thrived. No, nope. I'm talking like today because super not an office job. Court just that's an actor. That's what you're that's what you're aiming for there. So, so I like, I would want to be like it's not really so much of a thing anymore. So it's not current day, but it's more current day than court jester. Mm. Like <laughs> a Wall Street trader on the floor. 
I, I can see you doing that. Because, I can see you. Or, or whether, maybe not that, because that's not really a desk. You, like some sort you of. hate being around people. No, I understand. But, but he loves yelling want, at people. I would want something that's like high stress and like fast paced. Right, yes. And that's, I guess, the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, constant, like I would need constant, like, like, like constant work. Like right. I could not sit idle sure. in between. Like, sure. oh, I was going to burn 30 minutes till my next meeting. It's like, no, I oh, have to be moving. I can sit very idle if need be. I feel like you are like the lead character from Office Space post hypnosis. That's fair. It's accurate. You just don't care. And you would just not do anything. What is it? Just what is it? You'd say you do here, Tim. You'd say you do here. Oh well, man! So let's let's go over why we're doing this so early in the morning, James. It looks oh. like I'm in a commercial. Up in no, the- I, I I could have done any time. We just Alex and I were texting. We're like, let's just f- with Tim. Be, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a, the upsetting thing is it objectively would be pretty funny. <laughs> What <laughs> one day we will do that, and then we'll show you the text I, chain was, after I the fact. I actually kind of thought that's what was happening. <laughs> well, it was it was bad when I was like, "Yeah, can we do nine a.m. Eastern?" So six a.m. for you, and then Alex is like, mm, "Can we make it eight forty-five? I can see how that would have led you to be like, "Hang on a minute, yeah, wait a minute." I did, that is exactly what I thought was happening, but then in the back of my head, I'm like, "That'd be pretty funny." Like I would, like I would, I wouldn't be thrilled, but uh, like the objective part of my brain would be like, that was a pretty solid one. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yes, I'm up in Canada. Um, I was filming a commercial for, uh, for Canadian Tire and Motomaster, one of my partners. And it's so funny. So like, you know, Becky is, is filming a project right now and the film world is like, as you know, it's chaos. Like it's com- one of the most not on disorganized non-union stuff is not on strike in Canada. That is true. Um, and so very lucky that she's able to work right now. But as you know, Tim, sets are complete chaos and some of the most unorganized places on earth, but also like super organized because there's so many people and so many moving parts and so much to coordinate. It's like a massive challenge to get all this stuff done. Right. And so Becky will come home on the odd day and just talk about how this got messed up and this schedule changed and this got pushed. And it's so much waiting around. It's kind of like racing, right? It's hurry up and wait, right? You have, you're there for 12 hours to do two hours of on-track activity. It's the same on set. You're there for 12 hours and you're on like, you're on for like a combined 18 minutes sort of thing. So this commercial I was shooting, um, there were some delays and my projected first on cam appearance was going to be at 9.15 and I finally got on camera at 2.15. (laughs) So it was a solid five hours of just hanging out with the crew and cast and just watching movie magic be made. It was pretty funny. Um, yeah, so I, came, I, was text, I was texting Becky. I'm like, I now understand what you're talking about a lot better. This is, I get it. I'm not going to say who it was, but I do remember at one point a fairly well-known comedic actor saying like, you know what they should do? Because there's all this downtime between takes. They should write a movie that you can, or write multiple movies that you can film with the same sets and same actors so that we're using the downtime to film other movies. I was just like, do you think that 
everybody's just waiting around. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you know that work is being done just because you're not on camera. Like that doesn't mean everybody's that, just sitting. That there. would still require three crews working simultaneously. I honestly thought that sounded like a really good idea until you just <laughs> pointed out the problem. So, so that in uh, in the 1920s, 1930s. There was a big outreach from the U.S. government to Mexico. We were really worried about fascism in Mexico. So when they filmed Dracula, the 1929 or was 32, I think it was 29, the Bela Lugosi Dracula, they would film for 12 hours and then another crew would come in with another set of actors and they filmed a Spanish language version of Dracula on the identical sets for 12 hours. Um, that's pretty smart. So that's about as close as we've ever come to that. But. I like that. I like that. So now, what, what, why are you up so early, Alex? Well, it's not early. I just, I, know. I just, you know, need, I had things to do. So I wanted to move it up a little bit earlier. I respect that. And I thought it was funny to just push it 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> Again, objectively, that's true. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we raced at Gateway yesterday weekend. Hmm. You did like a lapping session at Gateway. <laughs> so you're trying to say there was not a lot of on-track passing? Is that what I'm... I mean, I don't know that... I mean, apparently there was like 275 on-track passes. So that, that does seem like a lot. I didn't do any. Don't, <laughs> don't they count cars in pit lane is like being passed like if you if you're on track and a car's in pit lane you're credited with a pass or is that that sounds low to include that number so maybe they've actually i mean you watched you watched the race do you think there was 275 (laughs) passes because like here's here's what i'm saying like i just um we can go back to we'll, we'll start at the beginning of st louis um so we all were kind of looking forward to going back there because final over oval race of the year um and also we were bringing the alternate tire right which was going to be something different and, and never seen before in an oval uh so before the weekend got started we all had to go through the effort of basically sitting around on a movie set um waiting for someone to do something because mother nature decided that it was going to absolutely piss it down on, it was incredible. Incredible. on Saturday. It was actually pretty cool to watch for the first yeah. hour. And then it got really old because you realized how long your day was going to be. By hour five, it was less cool. Yeah. But like watching that shelf cloud roll in from the uh, kind of northeast was unbelievable. Like from, from after studying weather for airplanes and realizing kind of these things that are anomalies that happen that are very dangerous for small aircraft, but never actually seeing it in person, you definitely want to see it for the first time on the ground. Cause I can imagine if you saw that in the air, you'd be pretty scared, but like, it was cool to, to watch that all happen. Um, and it was a welcome relief because it actually brought the temperatures down like legitimately 30 degrees, yeah, uh, which was great for the cruise anyways. So, Everything was delayed. Um, We kind of did just one practice session Saturday night, uh, which was tough because you're trying to, in one hour, do Q-SIMs, get an understanding of what the normal primary tire does over a long run, have some sort of idea of what the alternate tire does, pit stop practice, 
there's inevitably yellow flags. And so it was a, it was a very condensed session, um, which then rolled into qualifying on Sunday morning, uh, which I was glad they were able to get in. Like they had, obviously the IndyCar always has the option to start on points. I thought it was a good effort that everyone put in to, to give us a qualifying session. Yeah. Um, and then the race. So the race was in my mind, pretty anticlimactic for everyone that was not Scott Dixon. Um, you know, the alternate tire, I'm going to be honest, didn't do anything really. Um, so it didn't dig particularly worse than the, than the primary no, and it wasn't it, really it, faster. It, it was, did, it did nothing. It was right. a painted different on the side. Now in Firestone's defense, this was the first go at it. For sure. Um, so they're, they're not going to take a huge swing. You don't want to overdo it on an oval and right. Exactly. Have a bunch of cars backed into the fence. Right. So if we were to do it again, I'm sure that they would take a bigger step. But first dipping of toes into water, they went conservative. Fine. Um, but the, the, the ultimate issue in my mind is, um, and we've talked about this before, and our, pack, our oval package as an IndyCar group is really bad. And it's, it's interesting to me that you know, we've, we as drivers and teams and, and the series has realized that adding downforce for Texas, for Indy, is a good thing. And it's resulted in better racing and a better product and a better show. And it's weird the resistance that we have um, to add downforce to short ovals. Because usually the concern with adding downforce, aside from all of the knock-on effects, which... I'm aware of in terms of Firestone and additional load in the corners and all these sort of things that the main driving factor for not adding downforce is to stay away from pack racing, right? They don't want cars too close together for too long of a time resulting in dangerous situations and potentially guys getting hurt, which I get, but short ovals, I don't think are a, a breeding ground, regardless of how much downforce you have for pack racing, especially with the layout that gateway presents in terms yeah. of, one corner being a basically a road course corner where you're braking and going down three gears. And then the other one being a quite flat, um, fairly high speed oval corner, but you're not going to be able to be side by side through there anyways, regardless of how much downforce you have, because there's no banking. And so can I, yes, can I, can I just throw out a weird factoid there to like, sure. I want to, I want to get your input on this because I only looked at the numbers this weekend and was kind of surprised by it. You talk about corner one, two being kind of banked, a lot more banked and whatever, a little bit tighter. And then three, four feeling a lot flatter. What do you think the difference in degrees of banking in those two corners actually is? Just right now, having just got off the track, if you were to take a swing at it. Ten? Two. No. Two. One and two is nine, uh, 11 degrees. Three and four is 11, uh, nine degrees. Isn't that insane? You thought it was a 10 degree difference. It's two degrees. This is why variable banked corners work so well. Because if each lane is one degree more banked from lane one to lane two to lane three, lane one to lane three is the difference between one and two at Gateway and three and four at Gateway. Isn't that crazy? Because like to the people at home, from inside the car, like Talix's point, it feels like, so, I no, am obviously stunned. there's a, 
there's a radius difference as well. So yeah. that, that plays into it. Yeah. But even just like looking at it or walking it or standing on it, you would think it was way more than a two degree difference. Or maybe, maybe our concept of degrees, because it's not a unit of measurement that we are really proficient in, it's just F. Dude, you, you fly airplanes and like a one degree change in heading over a distance of, yeah, 50 miles is a or, lot. I mean, yeah. But like not over 60 de- feet. Yeah, but a 30 versus 40 degree bank feels like a lot. So like. But that's, but that's what you just equated two degrees yeah. to basically, right? That's what's so yeah. wild. Like that's how on the edge, I guess how cool it is driving race cars. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. Yeah. Okay. The point that I was making is we will not resolve this issue with different tire compounds, with whatever, with whatever, whatever, because ultimately it might as well have been a night race. So often we talk about, man, we, we really need to do these short oval races at night because the track conditions are better and cars are able to run closer together. It was 72 degrees and overcast. Yeah, it was, so it was about it, as good as you can get. It's as good as you can get. And it was still virtually impossible to do anything. Like I was stuck behind lapped cars that were, you know, two, three miles an hour off the pace. I wasn't the only one, but like you just couldn't yeah. get through, through lap cars. Um, so that was, that made it all a little bit uh, boring, I'm going to say. I'll, I'll say. Um, so and actually, yet again, I had a quick, quick thing on that because I, I texted James like I understand not having to yield the position when you're a lap down, but not a full lap down to the field. It felt like there was some very aggressive blocking going on. Well, and also there was guys that were multiple laps down to the entire so, field. So this is an important thing to note because I made this mistake in the broadcast. The command blue flag does not exist on ovals, right? So on a road and street track, once you're a lap down to the whole field, then the command blue comes out once the leaders come back up and you have to move over, right? You can defend until you're a lap down to the entire field. On an oval, that happens a lot faster, but the rule doesn't exist. So you would catch cars, to Alex's point, that are two, three. I mean, if they've had a problem in pit lane, could be five, ten. Honestly, I, I don't I don't know for sure, but I try to look at it from the other side. When you look at this place, especially Iowa, it happens all so fast. They would need like two bodies dedicated just to keeping track of command blue flags. Because remember, once one guy goes by, the next car that comes up, like it would once you go a lap down, you might as well just pull in because you're going to be spending the entire rest of your race lifting and letting cars go by. It would actually be chaos. So I, I do kind of understand it. And, and this is not, I'm not complaining about yeah, the yeah. rule no, no, of for sure. command blue on ovals. I, it's more, again, it's a courtesy thing. Like yeah. it just, I understand as soon as a car getting to you, you're not doing it, but for 15 laps to aggressively, legitimately aggressively like chop people and try and keep them behind when you're not racing. It's not even like you're racing the car in front of you. Like you are, you're on your own lap. So like, it's just, it's just tough. Anyways, everyone dealt with it. It wasn't just me. Um, but where I was going was two weeks in a row, guys, Scott Dixon and the nine crew did what everyone thought going into the race was legitimately impossible. Like we, we discussed it in the pre-race in our pre-race strategy meeting as a, organization and we were like haha funny not gonna work like can't do it 
This is a three-stop versus a four-stop. Correct, yeah. And um, Scott did it. Not only did he do a three-stop, we did five. Um, so it's, it's pretty phenomenal that he uh, did that, but again, did it back-to-back with what he accomplished. Um, and, and even crazier, mm-hmm. like, after all the success that he's going to coin. Yes, it's wild. It's wild. Um, but I get it now. I get, he's just, he's out of, he's out of challenges at Chip Ganassi racing. I mean, winning the last two races, both from like 15th or 16th on the grid on incredible strategy programs. But I, I want to just, I want to make sure people understand just how impressive this is, right? Because we talk a lot about strategy, which obviously the driver plays a part in, but for the most part is being called from the stand, right? They're the ones that are doing the math calculations on fuel and laps remaining and all that stuff. What Scott had to do both in India and here, but I'll, I'll, I'll reference a specific thing here. Once everything sort of shook out, there was some yellows, Takuma and whatever, we had some yellows. There was, an, there was a kind of opportunity to either pit or not. And pretty much all the leaders pit. Scott did not. Got him on a weird cycle. Erickson, who, shout out to Marcus, because he had a crash in practice, which we'll come back to. Had to go to a backup car that had never seen the racetrack before qualifying. Did a decent job in qualifying. Took a 10-place engine penalty. Um, actually, no, I don't think he did. I take that back. He was just not that fast in qualifying because it was a brand new car. Started 15th or whatever. Would legitimately race his way up into the top six, maybe even the top five. Had a problem in pit lane, okay? His left rear tire came off on a when he launched. Kind of throws him off. There's a yellow flag. He tops off. Long story short, when all this stuff cycles out a little while later, Scott Dixon is leading. It's becoming apparent that he's going to try to stretch this thing out on one more stop. <clears throat> most other people have to do too. Marcus is running right behind Scott. He pit five laps later because he came in for that top off. Granted, some of those laps are under caution, but still, that's at least, let's call it a, 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 an easy two green laps. Like full tilt green laps too, okay? Marcus bailed on the one more stop so early, like they clearly thought they had a 0% chance of making it on one. And he had at least two more laps of fuel under green than Scott did. And Scott just hit his number lap after lap, found himself a nice little pocket of traffic where he could benefit from the draft of another car to save some fuel, but also get a little bit of a pull, make it that much harder for someone to pass him and still won the race by 22 seconds. The, the other thing we got, the other point we have to drive home is every, every person can hit a number. Like, right. we all can go out and hit a number. Like, that's, not, that's well, not what is so impressive. Maintaining the lap time right, while hitting number. Again, like, on an oval, that is so difficult to do because on a road course, you know, you can, you can save so much fuel in in braking zones in corner transitions in elevation changes like there's a lot of different tricks that you can do on a road course in areas where you just are are not going to get past because you physically can't fit two cars through there like there's a lot of things that you can do on a road course to save fuel while not really being affected on an oval you are so exposed because you're in fourth fifth or sixth gear the entire time right 
you have these straightaways that, yes, if you lift halfway down it, cars are just going to go by you. You have to have maintenance throttle through the corners because you can't just be coasting because the balance of the car is all messed up. Like it's so much more difficult to do it on an oval. And yet he's still doing it, it to to a level that like his team, like it's not even like a manufacturer difference at this point. Like I, I do believe there is some of a manufacturer difference, but For like sure. his own teammates in the same equipment with better fuel, with a fuel advantage. It, it's, it's crazy, man. He's just, he's plus. a wizard. And that's the thing. Like he still had 20 seconds worth of slowing up to save more fuel. If he had, right. he could have probably done two more laps. No, that that was the thing. I was at the I was behind him for the last six oh, yeah. laps, trying to uh, unlap myself, and like I wasn't driving by him, so he he certainly could have saved more if he needed to, which yeah. is just wild to me. So so freaking impressive. Yeah. He wins last time out. It's at at Indy to keep the streak of nineteen consecutive seasons with a win. And now he's total the to only. 21. He's the only guy that can challenge his teammate. And, man, like, it's a tall order, but at this point, like, you can't really count him out. Scott Dixon has won six championships. Three of those championships have been won from behind with three races to go. So, I mean, yeah, if I'm Pelot, I feel a lot different now than I did after, like, Road America, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I, I still feel good, but I don't feel as good. Because the one guy he's racing has all his data, has all his setups, has all the same opportunity he does. It's just incredible. Now, I think going into the weekend... One less lawsuit, but yeah, you know. Well, well yes, he's... Yeah, fewer lawsuits. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But I think going into the weekend, everybody was thinking that the one guy with the best shot of challenging him was going to be Newgarden. 
And right. it was all looking that way until lap 180, whatever. I have no idea. Something like that. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the other thing. Like I talked about how the oval package needs to be better. We need to add more downforce. We're going to keep, you know, beating that drum. Um, the other thing that was difficult this year, and I don't know if it was just because there were so few yellows, um, if the track condition with this particular tire, I don't think it had anything to do with the reds, just the, the combination of stuff. The marble buildup was pretty ridiculous to the point where like you didn't, by the end of the race, you didn't even have a full lane anymore. Like you almost had to be white like line yeah. curb to not, be exposed to kind of the dust like it, it became two-thirds of a lane so what caught joseph out is joseph was just doing joseph stuff which is you know his ability to kind of change lines in the middle of the corner to get clean air and get the run out and it just sniffed the marbles and it it took him away once once you're there you're you're a goner unless you're takuma who can do it two times and, and get, get away, away with, with it. it yeah but the third, third time, the third time will get you. But the fact he, he survived two of them is pretty amazing. It is amazing he survived it. It's insane that he made the same mistake three times. Yeah. <laughs> God bless him. But like yeah. after I the mean, first two, you should be like, you know what? I'm just going to back this off a little bit. Mm. But that's, not, that's not really his MO. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, so the, you know, obviously, so Joseph, to be fair, and we didn't, and admittedly, we did not do a great job of catching this at the time because on the broadcast, because we were so busy getting caught up in how awesome what Scott Dixon was trying to do is in that last pit exchange Pato. So Joseph had basically been dominating the race as you'd expect. And, uh, and Pato actually had got him on that last sequence. Pato was with him basically the whole race, just couldn't get around him had a couple really good stabs at it. Like, I think he was actually quicker, but Joseph just had track position, could defend. Got him in the pit sequence. So he was running essentially first on that strategy uh, before Joseph crashed. So even if Scott hadn't have pulled it off and Joseph hadn't had that issue, I don't think it was going to be Joseph's day. But what he was going for was insane. Had he won that race, he would have won four consecutive races at the same track, which hasn't been done since I think it was like the late eighties, early nineties with Al Jr. at uh, Long Beach. He would have been six consecutive oval race wins. Um, only AJ has more at seven. So he's tied with, I wanna say it was maybe Rutherford or somebody else has five, which he has, but he could have been alone second on that list behind just AJ. And he would have been the first driver in history to sweep all the oval races in a season where there was more than one oval race. So like there was a lot on the line from like a record standpoint. I don't know how much Joseph cares about that stuff. I know he really just cares about the, does he? Oh yeah. Joseph is a big record guy. Like I talked to him in driver intros. I was like, how you doing, man? He was like, man, I'm pissed. I'm like, why? He was like, another pole got away. I don't, like time's ticking. Like I gotta, I gotta get these poles up. And I'm like, I gotta get these poles up. The guy yeah. has now won. He's he's on 29 wins. He's matched with with Rick Mears for number of wins. Well, he he cares about the records, man. He cares about the numbers. He wants poles. I I guess he's going for Will. Like that's gonna be tough. But that's I, I don't know. He he 
he wants he wants it all. So yes, I think he was very aware of this, and whether he admitted or not, I know he was. Fair, um, which is fine. Like for why sure, why wouldn't you be? Like, yeah, records I, are super I wish cool. I was. I wish I was in that position to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to to even have the chance to give a shit about records would yeah, be awesome. Yeah, exactly. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, so you came home fourth, right? Yeah. So like pretty yeah. solid, pretty solid. Third in class. Day. Third in class. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man, it was good. Like uh, we we had a good car, um, and that was just really about it. I I couldn't do anything. Like we. We definitely lost the opportunity to be on the podium um, from some lap traffic stuff in post analysis, but it was only one position. I, again, like Pato was, was still a step better. Um, I thought, you know, the times that I was near Joseph, like I thought we were maybe a bit better than him. Um, so I, I, I definitely agree with you that Pato certainly, I think it was, it was his day minus Scott. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was good. It was good for us to kind of bounce back from a pretty tough Iowa. Um, and yeah, man, like to like it, it was a tough summer. I'll, I'll be honest, like it was a very tough summer for for me and the seven car in particular, and to kind of bounce back with two top fives and kind of finding our rhythm again before the end of the year is a good thing. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, two left can be both strong. Um, while we're talking about records, um, did you catch any of the F1 race? I know you did. I did. So two things. First, let's just preface that for the first time all year, F1, I think, had a more exciting race than Danny Carr. Completely agree. It did take four different environmental changes to, to make it happen. It was dry, wet, dry, wet, I believe was the... With all the money F one has, they should just do that every weekend. They should, yeah, they should just put sprinklers in at preset right. random times. Well, no, I, I figured they could just you know oh affect the weather clouds right, yeah. <laughs> just buy rain yeah, just import rain in right, from exactly. New Zealand yeah yeah um, yeah create I mean insane race just literally starts raining on the like on the starting grid when they're all on slicks yeah then it goes wet then it dries back out. Then it rains again with like 10 laps to go. And, and, and here's the thing. I am, I am so, I'm so over, and I don't know that there's that many people doing it, but there's still a few who are like, oh man, Max is just doing this because he's in a Red Bull. He is so much better than every other racing driver on the grid and thus the world. Like, I, yeah. It's unbelievable what he's capable of. I'm not sure. I mean, this is going to be a really unpopular opinion with a whole section of the racing world. But I'm not sure we've ever seen in the history of the sport. And, like, let's go back to, like, the 70s. Because pre that, I'm not Don't as... Really know what's going on. I'm not as well-versed. Like Fangio, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe Fangio. Exactly. Right. But, like, a single guy as dominant in terms of just like his physical abilities over the rest of the field. Lewis has had his stints where he's been untouchable, but like his teammates have been kind of close and good. Right. And there, there's, right. you know, there have been situations he where maybe, for him. maybe one or two mistakes a year, you know, Schumacher, same thing, Vettel v. Weber. 
like right now, I, I kind of feel bad for Perez because yes, I do think the Red Bull is the best car, but I read a really interesting article that said the Red Bull is not actually the best at anything. It's just really good at everything. And when you, if you take Max out of it, you would look at that and be like, yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. Like Perez is no slouch. He won a race in a racing point machine. He's been on the podium dozens of times in suboptimal equipment. Like he's been paid to drive F1 cars for over a decade. Like, like he's, he's pretty good. Pretty solid. Yeah. Alex Albon is being hailed as like the next coming because of what he's doing in this Williams. Max buried him. Pierre Gasly was hired by Alpine to replace Fernando Alonso. Max buried him. There was not a teammate Max has not buried. Not just beat, got them fired. Like he got them all fired. And so, yeah, you could say, oh, well, the car's better suited to him or whatever. I mean, sure, I'll give you a percentage of that. But the opportunities he's had to make mistakes and doesn't. And even Lando said, he's like, yeah, we run around in second hoping for Max to make a mistake. It just never happens. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. The, what you're witnessing right now is one of the most impressive displays of, like, athletic prowess ever. Well, and, and what, it, what it also proves, your point's proven by Christian Horner and Helmet Marco. Helmet Marco is known to be honestly a terrible person to racing drivers <laughs> no because he yeah, just he, very he demands he demands excellence and if you don't achieve that you're gone like there's no there's no patience there's no sympathy which for from his standpoint he's there for one reason and one reason only to guarantee that his company and his racing team is better than everyone else so like fine but the fact that they're not that they are relentless in their commitment to Sergio proves that what Sergio is doing is a good job and right. that no one, no one, it does not matter who you are, is going to touch Max. So Sergio, your job is to be second in the world championship, to finish second, third, whatever in these races, to not make Red Bull look stupid, and you are employed because no one is expecting anyone to touch Max ever. And that's just, and that's okay. And it's just, it's pretty amazing that he has commanded that sort of dominance over guys who I rate very highly. Obviously, Lewis is still probably the best, but him, Lando, Fernando Alonso, like there's some guys out there that really know what they're doing and he just makes them look silly. Like I, when, when Red Bull in the beginning of the race really nailed the strategy for Sergio, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but like, or if Sergio was like, I can't drive. He it, had I'm the better. Yeah. He was in a better situation, and at one point had a 17 second lead on Max. Max closed that down in three and a half laps <laughs> on the same tire. There was one lap he was 4.9 seconds quicker, and you're just like, on what planet is that? <laughs> is that possible? It's insanity, man. It's absolute insanity. Like, oh, cool. Good for him. And so and he but, gets but, out of the car and he's not even like, he's not even phased. Like, he's no. not even trying. He's not even under pressure. Like, I feel like if he actually had to go and like find a bit more, he probably could. Well, I, but I feel like that's, those are those few examples where you see it, right? When he's like, I've got 17 seconds. I need to, I need to step it up. And then he goes four and a half seconds faster a lap. So, like, for that five lap stint, he was probably working pretty hard. Yeah. 
but then he can kind of just cruise and just not make mistakes. It would have been so easy to make a mistake at 10 different points of that race, and you wouldn't have held it against any driver that made a mistake because it's like the toughest conditions, right? And they right. had to do it three times. Yeah. And he still just pulled it off. So in front of his home crowd, wins again, and has matched now the record, uh, Vettel's record of nine consecutive race wins. And that means he goes into the next race at Monza, I believe it is, with a shot at being the sole record holder of 10 consecutive wins. And Red Bull are continuing the streak of the opportunity to be the first team in history to win every single race in a season. Now, we're on like round 12 or 13 at this point. Sergio's won two of them. <laughs> so like, yes, he did his part on the races where Max did not. In one of those races, Max also came second. So even if Sergio made a mistake. From like 12th. Yeah. Maybe even further back than that. Um, it was Saudi, right? Yeah, Saudi. I think it was like 15th. Right. Um, and then the other one, I think he, well, maybe he did finish second in the other one as well. Yeah, it was Baku. Baku. It was legit second. Like Sergio had his number all weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's Beat true. him in qualifying. Yeah. I'm saying even if Sergio made a mistake, Red Bull would still have won all the races this year. For sure. For yeah. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, again, you're watching history be made. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yes. It's like when people are bitching about Tom Brady. It's like, guys, enjoy it. You're probably never going to see it again. I don't yeah. care if you like him or not. Just enjoy witnessing history and greatness. We're lucky to see it. That was always my position on Schumacher because I was never a Schumacher fan. I really, really didn't like him because of Hareth 97 when he tried to take out Jacques Villeneuve, my guy. Not just because he tried to take out the Canadian, but because it was like one of the dirtiest moves I had ever witnessed at that point in my life. Yeah. And so I just instantly didn't like him. I didn't cheer for him, but I respected the hell out of him. And when he was winning 10 races a season and just sweeping championships up for no reason, I was like, yeah, look, I, I respect what's happening. And the guy's incredible. But it's funny now, like I remember being a kid watching Schumacher dominate and kind of be bored by it and right. be like, oh man, here he goes again. Even a little bit of that with Vettel. Like, not as much, but a little bit. Now, I'm at the point where I'm just like, I almost enjoy it. Like, I'm well, now too, I know that Max is going to win, but I still want to watch it happen. Dude, like, at this point, I now want to see him win the rest of the races. Because I right. want to see those records be made that will never be broken. So I can say I was there when that happened. This pivotal moment in sports history. I want the team to win all the races. I want Max to go on a 10-race winning streak from here on out and just close the year off in dominating style because mm. now that's now that's cool you're right now that's what would be fun to watch i don't know what does tim think not a big race guy <laughs> you can tell episodes that we film in the morning because tim's a lot less his input's a lot lower we should we should film more in the morning <laughs> like. our new standard time is 9 a.m eastern on tuesdays <laughs> all right he doesn't even have a response to that. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He's going straight back to bed after this. No, um, I actually have, a, I have another call in half an hour. Oh, wow. Um, that's, so why are you bitching at us? Because that was another hour of sleep I could have gotten. Yeah, it's, that's at 5 All o'clock right. in the morning. That's fair. So we're going into Portland. Mm. Guys excited? I've Alex's never favorite city. Yeah, I've never once been excited to go to that track. Here's... I I I can't stand the city. It's one of the worst that we go to. It's the worst we go to. But I do love the climate. I love the surrounding 
uh, beauty that exists with the mountains and none such. of which we see from the track or during you, you can see the mountain from from the track yeah I was too busy getting um, crashed into in turn one I never noticed I have had pretty above average levels of success at Portland um, so it's been a track that has been fairly good to me even though it cost me a championship in 2018 but that was just it was more Scott Dixon costing me a championship in 2018 <laughs> crashing in the first Scott corner Dixon's and then, awesomeness and then getting a pit lane speed penalty and then still somehow catching the yellow and finishing ahead of me, but whatever. Um, it's not like I think about that often. No. Uh, <laughs> so I, I actually, I don't hate the track in terms of the layout, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, a it's always one on the calendar where you see it and you're like, oh. but then, but then we go to Monterey after, which is like arguably one of the best places in America. Yeah, the so, most scenic place that we go. Yeah. And we'll obviously touch on some of the changes there uh, next week. But yeah, look, look, Portland, I that was statistically the best track in my junior formula career. I never finished worse than second there in like five or six races. And then and then I got there got in the big the second cars. Corner. <laughs> I never finished lap one without incident. And uh, no, then Alex, I, now I, I hate it. You, Alex, you retweeted something that pointed out of everybody starting, you have the best average finish there. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's good to cool. know. Thanks for that little tidbit. I mean, so, uh, you um, need if you got to win there, you know, let, need. let's just do that. Need. Okay. So we need to touch on two quick things. First of all, Alex, I need you to tell everybody your baby Borg box story. Oh, you guys. Are <laughs> I, I'm not only pissed at you two, I'm pissed at all you fans, okay? What did like, I do? I am... Yes, I am, let's just on the fans. No, like, <laughs> screw you guys. Seriously. This is fair. This is actually, he's got I, a point. So, just just wait. I don't know what I did. Well, if you shut up, you'll know. Um, I don't know when it was. Was it May? Whatever. Several months ago, episodes ago, someone asked, there was a question about my baby Borg. And I said, it's in my office behind me in its box. It's in its case, a protective case. It's in its little, it's, it's very safe and secure. In my office, I, I look at it knowing where it is, knowing what it is. That's good enough. <laughs> and people lit me up. The That's disrespect, included. the lack of appreciation, oh, the I mean, wonder you've... What? So we didn't use that kind no, of language. No, 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 no. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not you yeah, I know the fans did. Yeah, the yeah. fans. No wonder you haven't won again. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, whatever. Maybe they're right. Maybe I should, whatever. So I got it out and displayed it. And it was fine <laughs> Get for your phone several out. months. And then I'm not going to name who, but let's just say a... Uh, Someone was in the office. Someone was in the office that comes quite often um, for exchange of cash in order to make it dust-free. Um, came and unfortunately a little incident happened where... That was the weirdest way you could have said that. No! If you notice see, in the bottom right corner... See the edge that's now no longer attached? 
your baby Borg is broken? Well, he broke his baby fortunate, Borg. Fortunately, Steve Shunk at Borg Warner has been a legend and it is getting fixed. Oh. So it's not the end of the world. But once I get it back, it will swiftly be returning to its box and all y'all can go F off. The, not only is it going in the box, the box is now going in the safe, and the safe is being right. poured into a concrete hole and covered with a lead shield. Correct. Mm-hmm. I'm so. still, okay, I'm still wondering why you're mad at James and I for this. Because you guys were with me about the fact that I kept it in a box and didn't we were. I don't think I even display. knew you kept it in a box. No, we definitely, definitely had this conversation. conversation. Yeah, we definitely had this conversation. Know, we were, we really were part of the problem. Uh, I can openly admit that and I do feel a little bad, but I also think it's a little funny <laughs> because it's getting fixed and my point to Alex was, well, hang on. Now you know that if something happens to it, Steve Shunk, who's a legend, will just sort it out. I don't so know, it's fine. I don't know how, I don't know how many like... <laughs> How many, free, I have with how many get out of jail free cards you have with your board? I feel like it's probably one, maybe two, like in a decade. But like, I don't think it's like mm. something that every six months I can be like, hey, man, <laughs> had a house party. Someone came over and we were throwing in the pool. Like, <laughs> James, James, do you want to throw his baby board in the pool? I super don't want to do that. I really don't want to <laughs> do that. Please don't. I don't want you it, to do it, it either. I really it's, don't. It, it's funny. He was like, man, never seen that before. Like, I've seen some damage to it, but like, that's a new one. I was like, yeah, great. <laughs> but it was perfect it was, until last week. But it was really clean. <laughs> it is clean because it doesn't live outside. <laughs> Fair. Oh, good times. Uh, all right. We have, so there's one other thing, but we'll save it for the next episode because we're already out of time. And yeah. Well, there's one other thing, but yeah. Sorry about your Borg. Good luck in Portland. Tim, go back to bed. And we'll see you all at 9 a.m. next Tuesday. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Off Track is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. We're at Ask Off Track on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow us on Twitter individually, I'm at Hinchtown. He's Alexander Rossi. And if you want to follow Fim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham on Twitter. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel for exclusive video content. Off Track is produced by Tim Durham, and by that we mean Fim. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.